Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. Today, we celebrate the beginning of our fifth year with episode number 200 and our annual anniversary guest, engineer Dennis Moody. Yes, it's episode number 200. Thank you so much for your support. I do appreciate that you've listened and given me your feedback all these four years. We're going into year number five, and there's a lot of great guests coming up. I want to especially thank Steve Cherubino, who is the reason why I'm doing this podcast. I'm a panelist on the Audio Nowcast, which is, I think, uh, the longest-running pro audio podcast in the world, and it's been going for 11 years. Steve heard me on that podcast, and he said, you should have your own podcast. And I thought, no, I just don't want to do it, or I can't. I don't have enough time. But Steve said, look, I will help you get this going. And he did, and for the first 100 episodes or so, he did all the post-production. But if it wasn't for Steve, I wouldn't be doing this, so I want to thank him very much. And again, thank you all for listening, and thank you all for being a part of this. So let's get down to the news. First of all, China bans hip-hop from their mainstream media. Yeah, hip-hop and the hip-hop culture has been banned from Chinese television, and that includes clothing and tattoos as well as the music. They claim it's tasteless, vulgar, and obscene, and probably most importantly, it's not aligned with the party values. That being said, hip-hop in China is usually popular. Now, it's not American hip-hop, it's Chinese hip-hop. So it's basically maybe American beats, but the fact of the matter is it's Chinese rap on top of it. It's not American, so it's not American stars that are being banned. It's their own brand of hip-hop. Now, this is actually fairly new. It's 2017 when hip-hop took off in China. But that being said, there's a couple of hip-hop television shows that are huge. Higher Brothers and Rap of China. And it looks like they're going to be taken off the air. Now, that being said, hip-hop is banned on mainstream. But as far as the underground is concerned, everything is still good. For the most part, the Chinese government is trying to make sure that the Chinese culture isn't being too influenced by Western culture. That's what they're really afraid of. And, of course, they say it's not consistent with the core values of socialism, and that may be well true. But it also really puts a damper on freedom of speech. So whether you like hip-hop or not, it is the voice of the street today, and it is something that we don't ban. And some of us may not like it, but the fact of the matter is... We're free to say whatever we want and use whatever music we like. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. Check out my Hitmakers Club for access to the private mixers, Facebook group, monthly deconstructed hits, mixing workshop, and Q&A webinars for a short time. Access to my core training module bonus. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, I almost hesitate to bring this up, but Gibson is in financial hot water yet again. And on a number of different levels. The only reason why I bring this up is it keeps on happening over and over where suddenly Gibson is in the news and it's not about their guitars. So I think I reported both in my blog and here on the podcast 
that Gibson, first of all, was selling two factories or supposedly had sold two buildings in Nashville, warehouses, and their Memphis factory. Well, now apparently two of their partners, the people that were buying these facilities, are suing Gibson because Gibson backed out of the deal at the last minute and sold them to a higher bidder. So that obviously (laughs) got them in the news. Then Gibson's CFO left, and that resulted in a credit downgrade because the rating agencies just don't like it when your CFO was turned over. And then, even more worrisome, in July, there's a big half a billion dollar balloon payment that's going to be due. And it doesn't look like Gibson can meet it. So, in fact, what they're trying to do is restructure the debt. But they're not having much luck. One of the reasons why is the CEO... Henry Juskowitz wants to maintain control. And of course, the creditors are saying, well, wait a second, you're the one that got the company in this bind. So why should you maintain control over this? Then the creditors went and hired a couple Japanese lawyers to determine whether Gibson's acquisition of TIAC and Onkyo actually went through. The reason why these are really valuable assets. So if bankruptcy happens, they want to know that those companies are actually on the table. All that being said, if the company doesn't restructure by July, it'll have to go bankrupt. And in that case, there's going to be a lot of changes around Gibson. We can only hope that Gibson Guitars fares well out of this and hopefully fares better than it has been. None of us who's in the music business, and especially guitar players, want to see anything bad happen to Gibson Guitars. Because let's face it, if you're a guitar player, you probably own at least one Gibson. So we all have a deep feeling of love in our heart for this company, but boy, it's not looking good the way things are going. Dennis Moody is one of the few engineers that can easily slide from mixing a live concert in front of 20,000 people to engineering the recording for drumming stars like Steve Gadd, Dave Weckl, or Michael White. Dennis is an old friend and collaborator, as well as the first guest on this podcast. Since then, I've had him on the anniversary program every year, catch us up on what he's seen in the music business and his travels around the world. I spoke with Dennis via Skype from his studio in Los Angeles. This is episode 200. You were on number one, number 50, number 100, number 150, and here we are again. You're the only person who's ever been on this many times because we're old friends and because you're number one. You will always have a place (laughs) on the anniversary here. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to be part of this, and thank you so much for having me. Tell me what you've been doing in the last year. Oh, geez. Well... Uh, let me start back at the beginning of the year. I work for an international world music uh, superstar who's a Persian singer named Gugush. And if anybody wants to know about who she is, they can look her up on Wikipedia. Um, we've been going to uh, very interesting places. We were in Dubai. Uh, we came back to, to, to L.A. and three weeks later, we went to Kuwait and did a show. Uh, 3,500 people sold out in an hour. Wow. Uh, she's very, she's huge. She's the biggest Persian star of all times. Uh, I think she has about 4 million Facebook followers and she put a little blurb about me on her Instagram and it had 63,000 likes. Wow. Uh, 
on that. And she's she's an awesome person, really lovely person, and uh, I, I really enjoy working with her. Um, we've done shows uh, all over Canada. Um, just got back from Europe, Sweden, two shows in Germany, and the average size of the venue is about 5,000. Some are a little smaller and some are bigger. We did a 7,000-seater in Hamburg uh, about just about four or five days ago, on the 30th of December. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing that, uh, which has been, uh, she's been a great client and uh, always interesting. Uh, it's uh, always interesting. Lovely audience. They're so friendly and enthusiastic. So I've been doing that. Um, I started working with an old client of mine from the studio uh, days, uh, Keiko Matsui, who's a Japanese jazz piano player. Yeah. And are you familiar with her, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Her band had uh, Carlitos del Puerto on bass and Jimmy Branley on drums, uh, JC Marrero on guitar. So we did the Cuban kind of vibe thing and uh, toured around the uh, states. Just uh, one offs weekend things. I think the longest run we had was three days, which is like a dream. <laughs> you know, three day tour. Oh, I love it. Um, but then in October, uh, she did a uh, tour in Ukraine. So we actually did uh, eight cities in Ukraine, one in show in Moldova, and one in Tbilisi, Georgia. And these were her band. It would be Dave Carasoni on drums, uh, Rico Ballad on bass, her on piano, um, Danny Jen, Jenskowski on sax, young kid who's just slamming. Um, he's in the Monkestra thing that's uh, going around now. But he, he's an awesome player. Uh, and we had a orchestra. Wow. So we were doing um, the first orchestras were about 38 piece for the Ukraine shows and um, all big halls thousand seaters minimum and the last show we did was in tbilisi georgia where we had a 68 piece orchestra that was the national orchestra of uzbekistan mixed with the national youth orchestra of georgia and uh it was in a 4000 seater um, they're actually doing some video on that i got all the audio files multi-tracked that i'm gonna uh, mix when they tell me go ahead but that was fascinating, and it reminded me of the days when I lived in Europe in the 90s when, when we met, where I was doing musicals with orchestras all the time. And uh, so for me, it was, okay, let's do this. And uh, man, what a thrill it is to have that much music coming off the stage. It really, really was fun. How much did you mic the orchestra, or did you have to? Uh, yes, absolutely had to. Um, on the smaller orchestra, 38 piece, I mic'd all the high strings with DPA contact mics. Um, I think we had 14 violins and uh, viola, violi, uh, and I also mic'd the chili on that. We had uh, four chili on that so and the rest i used uh, what i told them is take all the strings put dpas 
on them, the clip-ons, and then give me a, you know, a case of 58s, and I'll use them on everything else. <laughs> so I had 58s on all the horns, all the woodwinds. I think I used some condensers on the woodwinds, the flutes, the the, the oboe, and uh, bassoons. Um, so that was for a smaller orchestra. Um, when we got into the big orchestra, the 68-piece orchestra, we had to mic groups of chairs. So they had um, 451s over a pair of players over each music stand. There's two players on each stand, how it typically works in classical music. So I asked for DPAs, and they told me they were going to have them. And I went to the rehearsal, which was at the venue. Thank goodness we had uh, a whole day of sound check um rehearsals slash sound check the day before and um they had a mic so i had to uh configure all that um i think i had uh i'd have to look the picture probably 20 open mics plus the um all the 58s that were on the the brass and then the percussion mics we had five percussionists in that in that uh, group, uh, xylophone, uh, marimbas, timpani. Um, so that I had run about 80 channels hmm. of inputs on that. And I had to put a VCA on the, the high strings because they'd be flipping pages in between. I had to mute them in between, um, in between uh, songs and slow passages and stuff. So it was, it was pretty fun, actually. I'd sure love to do a lot more of that. It's a challenge and and uh, it's, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned before you went to Kuwait and Dubai and, of course, these other places in Eastern Europe. What was the gear like as compared to what we have here? Was it similar? Um, yes, and... All L acoustic speaker rigs, uh, great DPA, uh, D&B speaker rigs, which I love. I've been a fan of D&B since the 90s when I first used them. I used to do uh, Porgy and Bess for the New York Harlem Theater production, and we had a 90-piece orchestra, 60-piece choir, 16 leads. Um, the leads were mic'd. The choir was just uh, group mic, so I only had about six mics on the – I'm sorry – Six mics on the choir, uh, overhanging uh, in scenes, and about six to ten mics on the orchestra. And I just remember the first time I used D and B, and I was just—they're so musical sounding. Um, so they're very popular over there because they're—they're um, uh, Germany. Correct me if I'm wrong. Could be Swiss D and B or from Germany. They're just fantastic. And then Ill Acoustics, French company, they're very popular over there. Um, I, I know um, I get a lot of, of uh, flack from some engineers because I still use a Yamaha M7CL48. Um, I love the console because I can see all the faders at the same time. It's super easy to use, super intuitive, um, and I can get it anywhere. Mm. I can get it anywhere. That console I can get in Dubai, I can get in Kuwait, I can get in South Africa, I can get in Moldova, and it's not an expensive console to get. Every sound company has one sitting in their warehouse. So as I save 
do a save of my scene, my mix scene on a USB thumb drive, I'm able to get in the next day, load my mix and be ready to go, just tune the room. So um, it's uh, it's a console that I prefer. I am probably going to change over to Digico this year because they're becoming the same. You can get them anywhere. And, um, but uh, the M7 CLs are starting to fade away and not seeing them so much. Yeah. But mics, everything 58s, a lot of AKGs, a lot of Neumanns, um, DPAs and DPA clone clip-on mics for strings. Uh, all good. All good stuff. Really, really great. They're, they're right up there with us on their technology. Cool. Well, you know that the company that owns Digico just bought SSL. I see. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what they come up with now. <laughs> I thought it was a bad thing, and then I did some research and found out that SSL actually had the best year ever last year. They're selling consoles like crazy. Peter Gabriel owned it, and Peter basically knew that he couldn't take it any farther than he could, so he sold out to these people. Like Audiotronics is the name, and they own Calrec and Digico and Allen and Heath as well. So it should be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I'm really curious to see if they just come up. Maybe there's going to be a new console that just comes out. I know SSL has a live venue console that people rave about, but um, I mean, I'm a big fan of SSL, but uh, sonically, they have a sound um, that wasn't my sound. You know, I'm more of a, uh, like for jazz, API, uh, Neve more uh it's more of that type of sound and ssl or at least older ones when i was using them years ago they had a, a different sound to them um i don't even know how to explain it I, I don't want to use the word harsh because that would be inaccurate but they edgier yeah sound to them so uh, for jazz music and the kind of music i usually do it wasn't as appropriate of a console uh, I, as you know uh, i'm an api fan mm, and me uh, too. would love to have another one yeah they're awesome so uh, uh I'm, I'm curious to see what they do uh with the ssl and in the live domain out there and see they'll probably come up with a new one well we'll see in a couple of weeks at nam what's going to come out because i think they'll have some surprises for us we'll see i well this the whole thing just came down a couple of weeks ago so maybe a little early but uh, mm -hmm. maybe they'll announce something that they're working on or we'll hear some, some rumors. Or, I'd love to hear it, you know, as long as I get them. You know, I can't travel with them, uh, so I have to order them where I go. And I've been very lucky to be able to, to do that um, with these clients I have. So, you know, if I can get it and I like it, I'll, I'll order it all the time. It works. What changed in the last year? Did you notice any changes in the business in the last year? Uh, boy, that's an interesting question. For me, I mean, each year of the last three years, I've gotten busier. I've been touring more, but what I see, uh, I can't, not really a lot right off the top of my head. I'd have to say it hasn't really changed that much i know well they're cutting budgets back a little bit but um it, not not too much i don't see anything major that just really comes to mind without giving it some thought uh i, I don't see a lot of change 
uh, more consoles are becoming uh, consoles are becoming uh, well analog console for example you can't get them anymore out out in the out out there on tour i just don't see them anywhere yeah. it's all digital not not really a lot i would say in the studio world um there's some great knockoff mics i'll call them knockoff mics uh, or uh, um imitations uh, that are just phenomenal that have been coming out and my favorite and are uh is the warm audio stuff it's just mind-blowing everybody says that yeah yeah i have a pair of their uh 76 wa 76 limiters and uh, of course i own the 1176s for for years and years and these things of course there's something that ages age gives to the sound like with an electric guitar you know stuff starts to age and um, it, it gets a sound to it that the new ones don't quite have but they sound incredible and the thing i like about these is that they if you bought a used u87 for example any two of them are, could sound completely different yeah you know you have a vintage one you pay more money for it but when i buy one of these um wa 87s i have a pair of them and i've used them on horns with the martin brothers andy martin and his stan and his brother they're a section i can't believe how great they sound you know and they're yeah. very reasonable um and their eqs their poltec knockoffs are just fantastic so um for gear, new gear in the studio, I'd say these—they're finally getting these um, copies or emulations uh, to be of a quality that you can make records on. That people are starting to accept now as this is the way it is. You know, I, I tried to get a vintage forty-seven and. Um, you know, uh, about three years ago, and uh, it went for 95, and I should have bought it because I could have turned around and sold it for 14 grand. Those mics are, yeah, are, but you buy a buy a use one. Who knows who's been sticking a screwdriver in there? Or what's happened to that mic? For that much money, you know, I'll take my chances on something something new there's plenty of really good imitations really good clones for a whole lot less money that will get you most of the way there in many cases well even if it doesn't get you there it gets you somewhere else it's effective for what you need you yeah. know on your recording for your project you know so if it's not frank sinatra's u47 from oceanway or cello whichever room and it still sounds great you know i want to try these wa uh, 47s and i hear them doing i looked last week i think i had some time sitting in my hotel with my cold uh, in sweden i go well, let me see if there's any reviews on this and they're doing um shootouts and I, you can't compare these they're a different mic um they don't sound like a uh, 47 or they didn't sound like the 47 they were comparing them against but they did sound great yeah everybody loves them from what i understand yeah. i only heard the 87 version i guess it was on a trade show floor which is the worst place to listen to something but i have to say it had a sound immediately just talking into it it was like oh this is gonna work 
You know, you yeah. can tell. There are certain things that you can just tell right off. Right, right, right. The other thing that I heard recently that was like that was the Rupert Neve 1073 module. Rupert Neve designs up against a BAE and a real 1073. And there was something about this module that immediately you went, oh, yeah, that's really good. And plus it had the silk control on it, so you can overdrive this, which made a big difference. But you can make it sound exactly like, you know, 1073, or you can take it in another place. But it was immediate. As soon as it was plugged up, it went, oh, yeah, okay, I can hear the difference. This is really good. Those things are what 1300 1400 bucks a channel i'm guessing i think it's about two grand two grand okay warm audio just came up with the 1073 knockoff have you seen their ads yes yes i have i'm waiting to hear it they're just putting all kinds of stuff out now i'm really waiting to hear it again uh i'm pretty sat with my gear right now except for one great vocal tube Mike, which I'll probably end up getting their 47. But um, I'm really curious to hear those um, at, the, at, the, at the NAM that's coming up. But yeah, there's, there's some great stuff. And that's made by Rupert Neve Designs now? Yeah, or? yeah. You know his new company. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's always been, he's always been an innovator and everything he makes is, I can't imagine any bad product from him yeah yeah (laughs) so that's that's good to know i'll have to check that out let's talk about travel for a second so was there anything different in travel over the last year well yes um it's getting harder and harder uh before let's say two years ago three years ago there'd always be an empty seat on the plane now they're they won't fly them empty they put people in it's very rare. I think one out of 30 flights might have an empty seat. Um, I was always with the United Star Alliance, and I insisted that our flights go on United. Um, now that they changed the way that you accumulate points by having to actually have those miles on United and not uh, a, a partner and the dollars, the dollar amount's easy to get to. If you stay with United, um, as I do. Uh, okay, for example, with Gugusha's shows, we go to uh, Kuwait. I always buy my own tickets um, with her uh, shows, and then they reimburse me. I found a, t- a ticket from LA, DC, DC to Kuwait City for 800 bucks round wow. trip wow. on United. It- and, and they said, well, they already bought the tickets on Emirates. And I said, well, okay. I didn't push the point. And in doing so, I lost my status of 1K. Now, you're a traveler. You know what the difference is. When you get over 75,000, you start getting all kinds of free stuff. Yeah. You get free upgrades. You get When you hit 100,000, you get eight free international upgrades you get four regional upgrades which comes from the top of south america all the way up up mexico caribbean you get first in line if there's an empty seat uh, in business class and you're flying uh, anywhere you get it i was always first between one and three on on the list and now uh since i dropped down i'm usually 20 to 30 on the list and i never get those that hurts uh 
Yeah, it does. Especially I'm six and a half feet tall. I don't fit in the coach seat. So I, f- I have to fight for, um, I have to fight for a, a place and an exit row, um, uh, pay extra for it out of my pocket, you know, which is fine. I want to be comfortable. Um, the airlines are making the carry on smaller amount smaller so you have to you're forced to check your bag which you pay for so they're forcing you to pay for something um i've carried the same i packed the same way for the last 10 years and it's working well for me so i i know what i can get away with and what i can't get away with but um it's it's they're just making it harder and harder um, if you get a credit card for example united uh a Visa card, United Airlines Visa card, uh, Chase Visa, um, you get a certain status in line, you get to carry on your bags, you get lounge passes. The lounges here in the States are a complete joke. Get the lounges here in the States, you know, you go in and anybody with a credit card can go in there. Uh, uh, it's easier to just stay out in the, the uh, main part of the airport and wait for your flight. Uh, I do have TSA pre-check, which is really great. Um, so that's been working well for me. Come uh, going uh, anywhere domestically. Yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it really works. Do you have global entry? That's another one. That's awesome. No, but I'm going to try to get it. What I did do the last time, though, there's a a new app. It's a customs app, and you put your where you're coming from and just a few details it doesn't take much at all and it has your passport in there and it mm-hmm. files everything electronically and what you get then is barcode oh you bypass everything i was off the plane and to the curb in about 10 minutes and this is coming from australia and, and it i just flew by everything it was so easy with that so boy i highly recommend that yeah, it's the only way now. This is my second, first renewal with Global Entry. I had it five years, and when yeah. I first got it, not a lot of people had it. It was great. Now it's still very quick. I had a really fast uh, layover, short layover in Washington, D.C. last uh, a few days ago, and I said, oh, I'm going to miss my plane. Oh, I know I'm not going to make it. I had an hour and five minutes uh, to get off the plane and get the, before the next flight left, and I was coming in from Europe and with the global entry i just right through uh no checked baggage made it uh and actually had 20 minutes to spare wow. it was amazing so that that really helps uh, but but the your quest to answer your question things changing they're just making it harder and harder and 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 more people are uh, being randomly uh selected to go through pre-check to uh tsa pre-check to you know alleviate the stress on the big lines so it's not really benefiting as, as beneficial as it was yeah, uh, yeah. when it first started you know, it's just it's hard i don't fit on the plane have you flown a 787 dreamliner yet yes yes uh, many times yes c2a love it I always upgrade on that when I can. Man, I took it from Melbourne to LA and I just fell in love with it. And I don't know about you, but I had zero jet lag going or coming to Australia. 
I attribute that to the Dreamliner because it pressurizes at 6,000 feet rather than 10,000 mm-hmm. that all the other planes do. So it's a lot more comfortable. It just feels better. Yeah, yeah. And takeoff is amazing because you don't hear it. You go, wow, it's not, I don't hear any noise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's great. That's a great one. I just remember the first time I flew to Thailand and I had to go from, they put me on the ticket from LA to tokyo and then tokyo to bangkok and it was right when they're having their battery problems oh. and i said no i'm gonna go to san francisco and i'm going to um take a regular 747 to japan and switch there where i met met up with our drummer and then flew down to thailand but i remember uh coming back i had no choice to take and i was a little nervous you know because it was just about two weeks after all that was happening and they just put them back in service and i was just amazed um and then uh next time i went i upgraded and every time i go to australia uh, i upgrade at least one leg of of that trip and it's just it's phenomenal as you say yeah you yeah. just get off feeling good uh, the big ones that are funny is the, the 380s the double deckers on emirates uh the, the thing i liked about that is that i had five seats in the middle to sleep on oh boy and they put us in economy of course uh so i had five because it wasn't that full it was only half filled up um i guess i was lucky no 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 uh, oh what i've been hearing is that emirates airlines is actually a loss leader the country owns it so right right and they've been flying like that at half capacity or 60 percent capacity for almost ever wow yeah it was a great airline. I really liked it. Um, but again, I don't get the points. So I'd rather stop in D.C. and fly to Munich and then to Dubai just to get the points. Yeah. So had I had that trip, uh, one of those trips, the one to Kuwait, I would have been 1K now. Now I'm not uh, for this year. But uh, they're really interesting because I thought there'd be no turbulence on those. But uh, there was. We got bumped around pretty good. The first trip I took over there and then three weeks later I took the one well, the first trip was to Dubai. The second one was to Kuwait three weeks later, and that was nothing. It was really, really um, not bumpy at all. So they say that they don't bump around because they're so big, but I guess the first flight must have just been extra windy. But they're they're nice. Yeah, definitely. Well, okay, so what's in store for the coming year for you? Uh, right now, I have a couple things. I There's a new uh, Persian pop singer um i got uh, hopefully some shows with this guy it's, uh, does eight thousand seaters and it's a lot of fun um the uh gugush has some shows we're going to um armenia again oh, i was in armenia this year which was fascinating mm. it's a beautiful city yerevan uh, we're supposed to be there on the 27th of of march and then back to tbilisi georgia again on the 28th of March, so I have some shows with her. Um, I have a couple records um, pending, one in April, a full album with a client of mine that I've had for years, um, a violinist who does a kind of a California folky kind of uh, music. Her name is Kim Angelus. That's on the books. Uh, uh, Renovating this new house, trying to get that thing done. That's always fun. 
Well, it's good, though. You're booked out for a while, so you, you know it's coming up. And we've talked other times during both of our careers where we'd hit this time of year and go, oh, wait a second, so <laughs> what's going on, you know? But uh, yeah. not like well, that. I have a lot. Of, I mean, I always do have, uh, I, I have time for people. I, I don't want to scare them away. It's happened before where they, well, we didn't call you because we thought you were gone. I go, no, I was here. So uh, I, I'm, I, I am available for people if they want to, use me I mean, there's always time to do something uh you know I'm, I'm i am here more than gone so uh i, I did a, some interesting albums we didn't talk about the studio stuff i did no. some interesting records last year too that were uh, uh on some some uh, senegalese jazz fusion which uh, was interesting and another thing it's something with Randy Brecker and Stanley Clark. Wow. Uh, for an artist, Bob Holtz. Yeah, it was fun. It's fun. A lot of little things. But uh, yeah, right now I, I see it through March, April, middle of April, where I'm pretty, pretty busy. So let's just keep our fingers crossed it goes that way. Well, I'm sure next year at this time when we get together again, you'll have <laughs> plenty more to talk about, as always. I hope so. Be able to keep your, your eyes open for what's changing and what's new because it always evolves. Everything evolves, so it's kind of nice to keep track of it. Right, right, right. Yeah, a lot of new stuff coming up, so I'm anxious to see see what the NAM and we're doing our little um, our little talk at NAM. I'm very excited about that. Uh, well, yeah. Well, you're on twice for uh, recording the drummers. World's top drummers. World's top drummers. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yes and and you're going to be there interviewing me i hope <laughs> so, uh, we'll talk about it we'll get get some good stories uh, you know uh, yeah. going yeah i'm excited about that so anybody listening if this is out before then please come by and see us i think it will be actually i think it will be. oh that'd be great yeah. i'm looking forward yeah. to it. thank you for having me on that sure. very excited about that one well cool well until next year then Thank you, Bobby. I will see you in a few weeks. To find out more about Dennis, go to DennisMoody.com. That's all one word. Dennis Moody, M-O-O-D-Y, DennisMoody.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, send in a questions at BobbyOInnerCircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to BobbyOsinski.com and select the podcast tab, or you can go to BobbyOInnerCircle.com or find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and Google Play. At BobbyOsinski.com and BobbyOInnerCircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time, and one more time, thanks so much for being a part of this. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you.